Analyzing fiction is always something of a difficulty when it comes to comedy. Because comedy is comedy. It, it, it functions differently than virtually every other concept when it comes to human fiction. And it's also one of the most malleable and debatable and personal preference-y thing that exists in human society. Lots of people are going to find things funny that other people aren't. So what can you do when it comes to analyzing comedy? You can explain the joke, so to speak, which tends to ruin it, and you can comment on what you found funny, and that's kind of it. So this is probably going to be a short episode, because I'm just going to be talking about the things that I did find interesting. First of all, I did like, uh, well, I like the dartboard, and I kind of want to explain why. So on TNJ, they had the cards. Now, there's a lot of bias in this, and I'm going to admit this, but I've actually polled a few other people as well as they had, they had similar feelings on this. So I'd like to think that this isn't just me. But the idea here is TNG... Well, there's no nice way to say this. TNG was kind of the upper crust of Federation society, right? Most of the personnel on the Enterprise-D are some of the most elite, capable, and skilled crew members in Starfleet in one of its best ships and the leading edge of its thing. I mean, they are the flagship for a reason, right? So having the uh, having poker, which is in, in its various permutations, which is usually considered to be more of a thinking man's competitive game that involves more than two people, kind of makes sense. I mean, there's a way that that just kind of slides in neatly. It is, however, still kind of a familial, friendly thing, thus emphasizing the family nature of the crew. Over on Voyager, we had the pool table, which sadly really didn't get the kind of use that it should have, because actually I think the pool table fits perfectly with the atmosphere of Voyager, that camaraderie, that uh, chemistry between all of the actors and thus all of the characters, kind of naturally lends itself to a pool hall, at least any pool hall I've ever been in in my life, which leads us, of course, quite naturally into darts. Darts is simple. Darts is ground level, right? Darts is kind of more of a working man's kind of a thing. And again, all of this is obviously debatable, and of course, just about anyone could play poker, pool, or darts. But when you first look at it, you're probably your first thought when it comes to darts is like a bar, right? Just a dart, dart in the bar, uh, in the back of a bar kind of a thing, right? And thus, we kind of get that impression of, once again, DS9 being more of a ground-level thing than the rest of the shows. Which is funny, but I don't want to get into why. Uh, I also want to talk about... So let's, let's talk about the first plot, which is the A-plot. The Grand Nagus shows up, and he is this wonderful, benevolent person. And apparently, they don't really seem to have any kind of cleaning service on Deep Space Nine. Now, that makes a degree of sense to me, but I've always kind of wondered how they clean in Star Trek, because they never show that or discuss that. The most we have is a little bit of information, put these bottles back in the replicator, a.k.a. the idea that the replicator can reclaim matter into energy, just as it can produce matter out of energy. That makes sense, but that doesn't clean. That's just your garbage can. How do you clean on this show? I, just, I don't know, just a little thought I had on the side there. Rom stands up to Quark. Nice little tidbit. And they have this whole new set of rules. And I have to admit, the significance of that moment was kind of impacting in its own right. Now, we don't actually find out some of the details until later. But the rules of acquisition are either 8,000 or 200 years old, roughly. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> we don't really have a lot of information on exactly when they were, and even those two figures I just gave are heavily dependent on casual references and therefore should not be taken as writ. But the point being, at the very least for several lifetimes, the rules of acquisition have been codified and in stone, with the 173 rules of acquisition as of the 22nd century being a good marker point. So the idea of a whole new set of rules of acquisition the fact that they're willing to accept that admittedly kind of says a lot about the influence and power that Zek has, that he could actually pull something like this off. And then they actually read them, of course, and they have this this desperate need to understand it. And Cork insists there has to be some greater game at play. Now, I bring that up because, as I've pointed out before, Zek is probably one of the only Ferengi that we've seen thus far uh, in Star Trek in general, that actually has legitimate business acumen. I've pointed it out each time it's happened, actually. But the thing is, he's like middle level, you know? He's not some grand genius manipulator, he's just doing basic economic manipulation and understanding. But I find it funny that Cork praises that, like, oh, he's 20 steps ahead of everything. Obviously, that's just being done for comedic value and Cork's, you know, fan worshipping of Zek. But I do find the whole situation amusing since Cork himself, arguably, has a reasonably high level of cunning himself, but I digress. Uh, the stem bolt thing comes up. This actually weirded me out a little bit, because in the beginning part of the episode, in the cold open, Cork mentions that her family won't be here for about a week. Then, a few scenes later, not too long later, uh, hey, her family's in, and he's like, oh, finally time to sign it in. Oh, but you never signed the contract. Why have you been so distracted over the last week? Seven days, or however long it is on this station, um, in order to not actually go and get the contract signed? I mean, I know you're living with Rom and you're a little miserable, but you still have a day job, right? Yeah, anyways. I do like how smoothly Rom takes the benevolence thing. Even though he was uh, funneling off funds, you know, embezzling from the benevolence thing, I kind of like the the the, the nature by which he takes to the leadership role easier than he probably should, given what we know about him at this point in time. I'm not going to say much else. I'm just saying that I find that to be very appropriate. I also like how... Uh, well, no, I'm sorry. I actually dislike how, once again, for some reason, this is not the first time this has happened in Star Trek or on Deep Space Nine, how when someone is completely changed mentally because of some mental alteration, medical technology can't detect it at all. We just had this with Dax in... Uh, fascination, I think, was the name of the episode. No changes whatsoever. She's completely the same. That's why she's lusting after one of her best friends out of nowhere because of a telekinetic, excuse me, telepathic th uh, Im impulse that's been pushed onto her. And yet, yet we can't detect anything? She's completely normal? Really? I know that the brain is a mysterious object and all, but we, do we really know that little about it? <sighs> so anyways, we see the vision where Quark, you know, gets information and knowledge. I've always kind of wondered about the relationship between visions and the prophets. This episode makes it very, very clear that whenever you see one of those visions from the orbs, you are not directly communicating with the prophets. However, the orbs do tend to have the answers, which means they are probably interacting with the prophets in some way or another, or at least are empowered by them, or built by them, or programmed by them, or however you want to think of that. Which makes me wonder what exactly happens when you interact with an orb. 
Now, obviously, this is supposed to be some vague religious kind of a thing or spiritual kind of a thing. But to me, I tend to think of the practicality of action, how things work and why they work the way they work. And my personal guess, and this is purely guesswork, is that the orbs operate on a basis of basically pulling information and creating a feedback loop between the information and the person perceiving it. In other words, the feedback loop helps to generate both what the orb is trying to tell them you know, in other words, what needs to be told to them, what what the, what answer they're seeking, and helps them to it, it establishes what it is they see. And this is why all the visions are always of people that the the person seeing the vision is directly personally connected to, because that's what it's using to construct the uh, the holodeck, for lack of a better term. And thus, it because it's directly interfacing with you at a personal level, at a direct level, it knows what you're actually asking, whether or not you do. Make sense? And then it has the information database, for lack of a better way to put it, of the prophets in order to pull, in order to get an answer to this question. However, because the prophets don't quite think like us, and because the very nature of these orbs is not to be, you know, magic eight balls, it doesn't always present it in a linear way. But it's worth noting that every vision we've seen in, in those orbs has come true to some extent or another and has actually given real information or real insight. Oh, just thought I'd mention that. I meant. Uh, so I'm going to be honest, I don't dislike this episode, but the humor, it's a its a comedy episode. And the humor didn't work for me in almost every respect, with one big exception. There's this bit where they're kidnapping the Negas, and they're taking him off to the shuttle, and he's humming. And every time I see that, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to do it again, but I burst out laughing. Just, no, I'm okay, let's keep going. That was great. That That was legitimately hilarious to me. Now, this is the other interesting part to me. They get to the wormhole, they talk to the prophets, and the prophets, in their own prophety kind of way, say that the Ferengi used to not be greedy bastards. From this, we can actually extrapolate that it was probably sometime around Gint's era, whenever that was, they never actually tell us outright, that the, the Ferengi started culturally shifting towards this greed thing and greed focus as far as their culture goes. What I find most interesting about that is they flat out state that they de-evolved... Um, or it is flat out stated that they de-evolved Zek to being a Ferengi from that era rather than from the current era. But it didn't make him stupid. Did you notice that? He still pays attention. He still picks up on things quickly. He still has the ability for long-time planning. And, and this is very crucial, they actually bother to show him still being a good businessman. Did you notice that? That actually really caught my attention. That we can have Ferengi who are legitimately good businessmen without being disgustingly greedy. I almost wish we saw more of this, like they continued this, or they left Zek this way, so that we could actually see this go in some direction in the future, as far as the Ferengi development. But no, he's back to being ugly and disgusting and greedy. End of main plot. Moving over to the second plot. I have literally three lines about the second plot. Four, if I'm counting that one. You see, not too long before this, uh, the Emmy Awards were being considered for Best Dramatic Television Series, and... The Next Generation, Season 7 specifically, was in consideration for that. Now, nobody thought TNG was going to win. And then it got closer and closer, and people started thinking they might win, and it didn't win. In fact, it went to an unexpected winner instead. We all, of course, know that Next Generation should get every Emmy in the world, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> oh, DS9 too. But no, the relevant point is that that was the, idea, the impetus for the story. Now, um... 
I'm going to go ahead and just bring down the spoilers box now. And by spoilers box, I mean the spoiler thing. I'm just going to put it up over there. Okay? Spoilers, 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 spoilers. Go. I already did it. I already put the edit in. I'll have to remember to edit this. Everyone cool with spoilers? Okay. Because I don't want to discuss this at all without spoiling the fact that this is your last chance. Without spoiling the fact that Bashir is genetically engineered and therefore is someone who could be considered for this kind of lifetime achievement in medical excellence despite being incredibly young. It's one of the... It's, there are so many aspects to this show that neatly line up with the idea of Bashir being this genetically engineered superhuman genius and it's hilarious because none of it was intentional. Remember, they, as, even as of this point in time, still hadn't decided that he was genetically engineered. That's still something that they hadn't come up with. This is more part of the backloaded storytelling style of Deep Space Nine. And I'm fine with that, because they make it work surprisingly well. But isn't it funny how much this lines up neatly? I mean, even Dax, who is a, is a brain genius of seven lifetimes, eight lifetimes, excuse me, is someone who recognizes the level of... Uh, intellectual excellence that Bashir has as a doctor, despite his age. That really caught me, and it's one of the only things I have to mention about it, which is why I just wanted to bring down the spoiler box immediately. I also want to mention a couple things really quick here. Excellent props to Alexander Siddig. When they tell him he's been nominated, his expression and his facial acting is just, wow, like that thunder out there is nothing compared to how he reacted to that. And of course, when he loses... He manages to, he just has this ice mask that he has going on here, which is fantastic. But I, and he also mentions, of course, the idea that even being nominated is a, is an honor. And of course it is. And he is right. And it is incredible that he was even up for one of the most, the most prestigious medical award that exists within Starfleet. I want to share one last thing here, just really quick. O'Brien says, I would totally have you up for this, which, number one, kind of mentions how much O'Brien and Bashir have gotten closer to each other, and B, shows how O'Brien, regardless of friendship, acknowledges and recognizes the, well, the skill and capacity of his friend, that he really does think Bashir is this incredible doctor. But then he mentions, who else out there knows you, right? I mean, who the heck is Julian Bashir, right? I only mention that because I have to admit, this episode kind of hurt a little bit. Now, I'm not excellent at anything, but have you ever had one of those things where you are a nobody? Maybe it's a reward, or maybe it's a ranking, or maybe it's a PvP thing, or maybe it's like a chess tournament or whatever, and you know you're not that good, and you know you're not that high up on the ranking, and you know you have no chance of winning or being recognized or whatever. And yet, as time goes on, you find yourself hoping not really like expecting it, not anticipating it, just like, oh, what if? And you can't help yourself but think about what it would be like if people really knew me, if I really was a big name, if I really could do more things than I can do. Wouldn't that be kind of awesome? And you start to get yourself excited about the idea, and at the end of the day, you have to recognize that you're still this nobody who is just in the corner, this tiny little pit of the internet, which barely anybody sees. No offense to you guys, you guys are awesome. But I'm reminded on a daily basis of how insignificant I am compared to a lot of other people. And I have to admit, that kind of hit home, kind of hit home hard to see this. Especially that final bit. Well, he wasn't, he didn't win. <laughs> kind of like he expected. And that's the worst part, really. Anyways, like I said, I don't actually have much else to say about this episode. I do hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. I'll see you guys next time.